Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Last Moderate Podcast. My name is John Halim, aka John the Podcaster. I'm so glad you're back. I'm so glad that we're back. This is a really exciting episode for me. Uh, this story is like nothing you've never you've ever heard before. Uh, it's it's a crazy story about how a young man came to this country, the United States, on foot at the age of nine years old from El Salvador. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, unfortunately, there is no video uh, for this episode. Uh, at the time when I recorded it, I thought it was going to be strictly on podcasts. I didn't really think it through that this was eventually going to be on YouTube. I'm sorry. Uh, so if you're on YouTube, what you can do is basically let it play and, and you know have fun doing something else while you listen. Uh, if you want to stare at a blank screen, by all means. Uh, and I'm also going to have subtitles on here. So if you can't really listen to it, but you want to go through the uh, the conversation and read it, there are going to be subtitles. So you can check that out. Um, however you want to consume this. Again, I'm sorry that there's no video here. Going forward with the rest of the interviews, I'm going to try to have video content. Uh, and Fabrizio's case also, uh, it may not have been the best way to go because he is kind of shy about this whole, um, hi Fabrizio. <laughs> He's kind of shy about this whole thing. Like he didn't even want to share on his social media uh, the, the hype to the show. He didn't really want to share that. So I don't really want to pressure him into something he's not comfortable with. But the story, nonetheless, is very important to listen to. I think if you are following the whole immigration story in the United States, even if you're not, if you, even if you just want to hear an interesting story and, and kind of think about someone else's situation, that's, that's, I mean, this is for you as well. So without further ado, uh, here is episode one of The Immigrant Experience. Enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Last Moderate Podcast. Again, I am John Halim. I want to welcome you guys back to the show. With me today is a very special guest on the very first episode of The Immigrant Experience. I want to welcome Mr. Fabricio Martinez. Fabricio, welcome to the show. Thank you, sir. Glad to be here. Glad to have you. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you come from, and you know the culture and everything like that. But first, before all that, tell us where you're from, or tell us what you're up to now. Well, um... I'm 22. I'm currently a senior systems executive at a company in the uh, D.C. area. Um, I am from El Salvador, and I arrived in the U.S. in 2006. Wow. So tell us a little bit about El Salvador. Tell us a little bit about the culture, uh, the way of life there, and, and how things are. So I experienced two separate things in El Salvador. Where I was born, I grew up in the mountains, so there was no communication with other people a lot. So there was no uh, water system, electricity, none roads, none of that, no cars. Um, so I grew up really close to my family um, where my father built a water system from the mountain. Uh, the water would flow down to our house, and that way we could wash clothes. The bathroom was like 10 minutes away. You would walk to it. It would just be a giant hole. On the ground where you were. Sorry, sorry, <laughs> sorry to interrupt you. The bathroom was ten minute walk away. Yeah. So I mean, if you really had to go, I mean, you had to. Yeah, book of, it. Yeah, you had okay. to. Um, wow. And you know, because since it's just a giant hole in the ground, it kind of smelled, you know. So right. you didn't want that near your house. Uh, like the house was made out of mud, um, and you kind of cover it with like a wallpaper, so you wouldn't notice it uh, if if. If it would start falling apart, my mom would go to a location where the mud would turn white, get it from there, and kind of patch up the holes on the wall. That's kind of uh, the first section of my life in El Salvador. The second, I moved to my grandmother when my parents immigrated to the U.S. My mom came first. My dad couldn't take care of me, so he took me to my grandmother's. Um, and there it was more city-like. 
it was electricity at that point. It was running water, but you would have to pay it separately. Um, it was more um, more people interacted with you. It was more accessible. Um, but, again, it was different because I wasn't with my family. I was with my grandparents. With the, I wasn't with directly with my parents. Um, and I had to adjust to, you know, going to school. Uh, before, we would take 45 minutes to walk to school to two hours if it was raining. Here, a bus would pick us up. Um, because my mom was paying for a private school. So it, everything changed a little bit. Okay. And so culturally in El Salvador, um, how are things different than they are here? Um, I will say it's more family-oriented. In El Salvador? So, yeah, in El Salvador compared to here. Because here at 18, at 20, you know, they people start thinking, hey, I'm going to move out from home, I've got to go find my own job, find my own place, and, and, and uh, here, for the first time, I heard, you know, of, uh, of homes where elderly go, and, you know, the kids kind of put them there, and they get taken care of. In El Salvador, the young take care of the elder, you know, no matter what, it, that's kind of a, that's kind of a, a, a thing, and, and you're responsible for their health, you're responsible to work and bring money so that they're okay at home, because they took care of you when you were younger, so that's, the generational thing here uh, that I found different in our cultures. Also over there, men are expected to work and women are expected to stay at home. For example, my mom stayed at home. She took care of us. She uh, did the laundry. She cooked. She did everything at home. And my dad worked all the time. Sometimes he was gone for three to four days because his job required it and he wouldn't show up. But that was normal over there. Here it's kind of both parties. Got it. And, and what did your dad do for a living, if you don't mind me asking? So in El Salvador, my dad, uh, when he grew up, he was a farmer, and um, he taught himself how to read and write. So he began working for the government uh, when I was uh, a little bit before I was born. Um, so he would give shots to children and animals to prevent rabies, to uh, to prevent, you know, flus from El Salvador. Um, he would also put poison on, like, bamboo sticks so the mosquitoes wouldn't be able to uh, grow in them. Um, he did a lot of uh, health-related jobs um, that require him to travel all over the place, which meant that he would be away from home for three days to a week. Okay. And did he have, like, any medical training or...? He got trained on the job. So, uh, well, he... Based on what he told me, he was taken to a school, and they did, like, a written test. And he... And they... It was five people. And the person with the highest score was the one that got hired. And because nobody knew how to write or read... Only about three people showed up, and he had the highest score. And then after that, he got trained. Wow. Okay. So, I mean, just a, a picture there of, of poverty and, and, you know, definitely some hardship. Uh, what type of hardships did your family experience? Um, well, my family has gone through a lot. You know, Salvador, um, <clears throat> my grandfather was murdered during the Civil War. Uh, my dad was about 18, and my grandfather supported his entire family. So after that, my dad took the mantle and kind of raised all his nine siblings. Uh, he paid for food. He paid for everything. Um, after that, my mom and him got together. I was born. He had to make a decision, you know, uh, leave his family and support his own family, which he did. And in turn, his family kind of turned hit their back on him. Um, when I was three, for example, I saw my dad get a gun put to his head by his own brother telling him to leave the land um, just because they were his, you know, their family was going through hardships as well. So they were fighting for land. But my dad decided, you know, this isn't worth it. Uh, that's when my mom decided to immigrate to the U.S. 
my father took me to El Salvador, uh, I mean, to my grandparents, and they raised me for a bit. He will work and then come see me during the weekends. Um, but that, that spread out for about a year. So I only saw my father during the weekends because I knew he was working and my mom was in the U.S. At the time, I didn't know it because when she left, uh, she left my sister. She put my sister to sleep and she's like, I'll be right back. And then she looked at me and she was like, just wait for me. And then she left and I didn't see her for like four years. Okay. And so she, she just left and went to the U.S.? Yeah. Okay. And so you were on your own basically? Yeah, with my grandparents at that time. And then... Uh, Maybe a year after that, my dad came uh, to see me, and he was and he told me I'm gonna go after your mom, to to see if I can support you guys better, and uh, he quit his job and immigrated to us. I mean to the U.S. and I didn't see them for maybe three to four years, and which turned into kind of a a bigger issue because my grandparents were taking care of me, but they were elderly as well. So my aunt took over, and she didn't have the best. Um, way to treat us so which means that she didn't go to school she didn't graduate from high school she didn't do anything uh because there was no opportunity over there my mom was 17 when she was when she left the third grade um so my aunt the only way people sometimes over there know how to take care of others so so sorry i I just want to backtrack here your mom was 17 when your aunt was in the third grade no my mom was 17 when she was in the third grade that's how so your mom was 17 years old when she, she graduated the third grade. Yeah. So I, I just wanted to make sure that we clarified that because uh, uh, for, for us, most of, most of you guys listening are in the U.S., of course. Uh, maybe uh, I know a few of you guys are in Europe. Um, we, we don't think of somebody being 17 years old in the third grade. Uh, and that just kind of goes to show you guys uh, – you know, the, the difference here of, of what we're talking about and why someone like Fabricio and his family ended up coming to uh, the United States. I'm not, I'm not going to really cut you off more than that, but uh, okay. just after clarifying that point, I, I think you were talking about your aunt uh, when, when we uh, yeah. got there. So um, my, the only way my aunt knew of to take care of us and to get us to go to school and stuff was beatings. So for three to four years, uh, my sister and I were beaten a lot by our aunt um and you, you know it it was extremely bad because my parents didn't know and she didn't want them to know but she didn't know of any other way she couldn't teach she couldn't teach us how to read or write or do anything because she didn't go to school so once uh you know it took about 3 to 4 years for my parents to find out because one of their cousins came to us or saw what was happening to us and went back to the US and told my parents um so uh at the age of 9 and my sister was seven and my little cousin was five i believe they decided to pay for a coyote uh which is the person that takes us across the borders well but before we get into that Mm because i think that's kind of going to be uh you know the the highlight of your story there but when your mom left and your dad left did you guys have any contact with them uh we used to write letters okay so it was just snail mail and kind of hoping it got there yeah um, pretty much because so, phone calls were getting pretty expensive and then, then El Salvador passed this law where um, apparent, it was a tax on calls from the US where a major part of the money was taken to fix the roads uh, that was what we were told uh, so one $5 car would lead to three minutes of a phone call wow yeah so letters were uh, the best way 
she, my dad and my mom used to write us letters and we would write them letters. Uh, maybe about a year ago, my mom found a letter that I wrote to her when I was little. Wow. Okay. And so in El Salvador, we hear a lot about the gangs. Yeah. Uh, did you guys have any experience with the gangs? And uh, so, and just to, to give listeners who don't know about this, a little background uh the, the infamous gang, MS-13, uh, which you guys hear uh, President Trump talking about a lot, um, they originate from El Salvador. Well, their origination point is a point of contention, but it's widely agreed upon that they come from El Salvador. Um, so, Fabricio, tell us a little bit about your experience with the gangs in El Salvador. So, my experience is a little uh, unique in a way uh, because I've kind of talked to my father a lot about this. Uh, so, for example, I told you my grandfather was murdered in El Salvador. My father was tortured uh, in front of my grandfather. My grandfather was electrocuted in front of my dad. Uh, my father was burnt and everything by uh, the El Escuadrón de la Muerte, or the Death Squadron, that um, was supported by the government of El Salvador. Um, and there was a lot of deaths and casualties from innocent people at the time. Uh, and then eventually the Salvadorian government with the militias came to an understanding. They were like, you know, we're going to seize the war at this point. Um, so all these death squadrons, all these people that were trained by, like, let's say, CIA uh, government supported, they they were left without a job. And they were trained to kill. I mean, these were people that were trained to kill. These were children that were taken from their families. That were Their only job and purpose in the world was to kill. So when that happened and all the guns were turned in, they didn't know what to do with anything else. So they were a huge part of building this MS-13. Um, we lived in a really remote area. There wasn't a lot of issues because there was it was really hard for people to get to where we lived. But when, where my grandparents are uh, and were gangs did build up over time and at one point there was a letter that was left at the doorstep i was here already uh where they put a cross on top of the page and a cross at the bottom of the page and they put both my cousin's name and my my grandfather's name on it and then uh they received a call saying we need three thousand dollars by this date or you know what will happen and then that means that one of the people listed on that list will get killed um and that's, that was one of our experiences. And it's gotten so bad that when I went to El Salvador maybe two years ago uh, or one year and a half ago, the military for a second thought that maybe we were doing something sketchy near my uh, uncle's grave that I had an M16 pointed at my forehead, maybe like a foot away. And the, the military man and I didn't say a single word to each other. He just realized that I was building a, a grave. So he just kind of went away and walked away and nothing was ever said. Wow, that's uh, that's definitely a, a something that that makes you think, uh, and, and it's kind of harrowing. There, your your parents went to the U.S. first. Um, what was it about the United States that made them decide that that's where they wanted to go? Um, well, they already have family here, so my mom's brother came over maybe f- forty years ago. Um, and he emigrated here. My grandmother sold all her land and to save the money to bring him over, uh, illegally, of course. And so he was here already. And then 30 years ago, my second uncle came over. Um, and then a little bit after, my third uncle came over. And then so my mom already had family here. And 
they saved money to bring my mom over to the U.S. as well. Um, that was really why they chose the U.S. and another country. Okay, and so where you left off in your story is when it was you, your sister, and your cousin uh, preparing to leave to the United States. Um, tell us a little bit about the, before you left. Uh, what, was it as a result of how you were being treated by your aunt, or was that just part of it? Was it just life as a whole? What, what exactly, what was that moment where the decision was made that we're leaving, we're going to the U.S.? Uh, my parents made the decision because... Like you said, the way my aunt was treating me, um, there was a lot. The violence was starting to escalate a lot. Um, poverty was getting worse. But also, my parents hadn't seen us. There was a there's a huge portion of our childhood where we were not with them, and to this day, it still affects us because I see a lot of families say, you know, their kids tell their dad, "I love you," or my mom, or or their mom, "I love you," but that connection isn't there between my family. And my, I mean, my sister, me, and my parents. Um, and it's, you know, we know that we love each other, but we can't say it. And we don't know why, but that um, our parents brought us over because at that point it had been too long that we had been separated from them. And they thought that we might have a better future here because, in all honesty, if they had never brought us here, we would probably be dead uh, at this point. Yeah, that's... Uh... That's insane, man. Um, so let's talk about the beginning of the journey. Uh, how? So your your parents sent money to the coyotes, uh, which coyotes for us gringos. Um, t- tell us a little bit about the coyotes and and what they do and and how your parents got in touch with them, so on and so forth. Kind of give us an idea of how that works. So I've never gotten into much detail with my parents about it, but it's it's a built-in network. You know, it, it's you kind of just know who the coyote is and and you that that I understand the agreement they have with my parents was they will pay half of it when we started the trip and then they will pay the other half once the trip ended for us um and that was all I really heard about it during the time my all I know is that they they my aunt came in told me in three days you're gonna go see your parents I never realized that I was going to a whole entire different country. I never realized that I was going to not see my grandparents for the next 12 years. Um, and we, she kind of just took us to all the stores. We began shopping. We, look, we were looking for shoes. We were looking for clothes. We were looking for backpacks. Not too many things, though, because we would be walking a lot. Um, the only shoes they had for kids, were, they had these little lights on them. You, uh, you probably remember um, where you would just take a step and they would light up. We had to cut all those out just because we will walk at night. So that was the purpose behind it. So you're saying that a lot of your journey to the United States was on foot from El Salvador? Yeah. Yeah, a lot of uh, my journey was on foot uh, at night most of the time. Okay, and it was you, your sister, and your cousin. How old were you guys? So I was nine. I was. Uh, it was December, uh, and I was turning 10 in April. My sister was seven at the time. And my cousin was five. Okay, so children. Yeah. And and no adult supervision from your family. Anything, no, none at all. Just trusting you with random people who yeah. they hoped would get you here safely. Yeah. Wow. Um, so let, walk us through the journey. 
um, your your the morning comes or the the night comes when you're when you're leaving El Salvador. Tell us about the journey step by step. So I think I left my home around noon. <clears throat> I can't remember the day exactly. Uh, my grandparents took us, and uh, it was all three of us, uh, me, and my sister, and my little cousin, and they they bought us a meal. Uh, and this is the last meal I remember because it was I, it was made out of avocado and I never had it before and I've never had it again. But it was extremely good and I've been trying to find it for the longest, but I can never find it. Um, so they took us uh, across Guatemala because they have open borders. Um, and they took us to this home that was made out of sticks. It was like mixed bamboo sticks mixed with something else. It was, I mean, if the wind came, it would blow it away. Um, and it was around three in the morning and my grandmother was crying, I remember. And I didn't really know why, but she said, just go with what they tell you. You know, take care of your sister, take care of your cousin. And then we started a trip. And my grandparents stayed in the little house and we crossed, there was a river right next to the house and we crossed the river walking. And they told us, it was like, okay, whenever we cross a river, you have to hold hands and hold on to somebody else because if not, the river will take you, and it's slippery. So that was our first, you know, 10 minutes into the trip. <laughs> we were already being warned about that. Um, and I never realized that. In the back of my head, I was like, why are, why are not my grandparents coming? But a little bit later, it kind of kicked in, you know, this we have to do this, you know. And uh, that was the beginning of my trip uh, into Guatemala. Um, there's also, I don't know how much further into detail you want me to or if you had any more please, questions. Please tell us everything. Okay, so um, there was that first river. When the sun was rising, there was a, a, a truck waiting for us, it kind of in, in a really grassy patch, and we just got on it, and they drove us to, like, a hotel, and we changed clothes to look like we were from Guatemala, you know, kind of to, to kind of... Blend in. Yeah, blend in, and, and, and I, you know, put ourselves out there. And it t- they took us to a river, and this is one of the things I remember the most because they have giant tires, and they put wood on top of it. And then this person, you they sit you on top of the wood, and you pay the person maybe 25 cents at the time. And this person pulls those tires across the river, but he walks on the river. So all you see is him sink into the water, and the water is extremely dirty. You cannot see anything. And he just keeps walking underwater for about three minutes. And then you see his head come back out. And then he keeps pulling you to the other side of the river. And I have no idea how they do this. But to me, that was, I, I just couldn't. I still remember it clearly, you know. Um, and for 25 cents, that was their living, you know. And they knew that we were trying to immigrate to the U.S. So they made a living out of that. Um, Guatemala wasn't. You know, not a lot had happened in Guatemala. Uh, we stayed in hotels during during the day, uh, and during that night we did most of the walking. And so, when, when we say hotels, we're not talking about like the Marriott or anything no, like that. No, no. T- tell us a little bit about the hotels. So the hotels were uh, really random. They were sometimes they didn't even have beds or anything. They just were rooms where you would go and change. Um, or sometimes we stayed at homes uh, where other families were staying and. For example, the the third house we stayed at in Guatemala, there was a family with a little baby, and they told me I had to clean the uh, 
the outside of the house, so I was cleaning out the leaves, and they told my sister, come help me change the baby's diaper, and um, my sister was like, I don't know how to, and they were like, well, I'm going to show you, because in the future, later on, you're going to have to know how to do this for your own kids, so they were like, and this might help you get distracted from all what's going on, because it was just a point where people would arrive and then go on their own, you know, to, to the next checkpoint. It was basically on an underground railroad. The whole thing is an underground railroad where everyone knows where the checkpoint is, but we just have to trust that nothing will happen to that checkpoint. Okay. And so you're, you're staying at the hotels, these shacks, these, you know, places along the road. What, what happens next? Um, you just wait for the coyote, uh, it's not just one person that will bring you over. Every checkpoint has a new coyote on it, and they will take you to the next checkpoint. They they await the signal from the next checkpoint to say it's clear, you're good to go. Sometimes it's there if there are police checkpoints in between, if you're taking a car or something, um, they do a scan before to make sure that there are no police checkpoints, and then they wait for that signal. Sometimes it's just a call, and if it rings twice, it's a good, you know, you can go ahead. If it doesn't ring at all, don't go. It, the the, uh, the signals is up to them to decide, but that's basically how we did it. Okay, and again, this is on foot. Yeah, and okay. it, I, I remember only getting on a car maybe three times. Okay, and so uh, is that kind of where it ends in Guatemala? You, yeah, Guatemala was pretty easy, just because the Salvador and Guatemala are next to each other, so they have open borders. You know, it's not it's not the biggest thing. Uh, Mexico, crossing into Mexico was a little rougher because uh, they took us on a bus and I had to pretend to be asleep. But I could I could see the police officer coming on the window, you know. Uh, I could see his reflection and then he would just, he tapped me three times. But I didn't wake up just because I had to pretend to be asleep because if he asked me questions, I didn't, I wouldn't know what to answer and I wouldn't have the documentation. So he let me sleep and the lady was that was taking me pretended to be my grandmother um so that's how i got into mexico uh with my uh with my sister and my cousin and they took us the first checkpoint in in mexico was a house that it was really the walls were really high and i remember they probably had around 300 birds on this on this wall just on cages and i have no idea how they fed them or anything but the house the entire day you would just hear parrots and everything just chirping all day long. <laughs> so are, are these like, you know, is it like that the homeowner's pets or are like these like illegal birds that they're selling or? Um, I wouldn't know, actually. You know, I I just remember there was a lot of birds. That That's a good question. I don't think they will keep them that many for fun. <laughs> so I want to backtrack to the bus. Um, is the bus like where? everyone in your your kind of envoy is or so so I, let, let's backtrack even further than that so the the coyote do they take a whole group of people or was it just you your sister and your cousin uh it depends so it depends on how uh so <clears throat> um sometimes it would just be my sister my cousin and me uh and the person would pretend to be our dad or some or, or a relative sometimes it will be a group um uh, it was just really up to what the checkpoint and what the coyote was willing to do at that time. Okay, so you're at the house in Mexico uh, with all the birds and the big walls. What happens next? 
You actually with all that with all those big walls, you sure it wasn't Donald Trump's house? Um, maybe <laughs> it might have been. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm just trying to make this a little lighthearted for the for the folks who are uh, who are really uh, you know tuned into your story here because this this is actually something that we don't hear a lot. We don't really know, and, and that's the reason why we have this series is because people don't really know what someone goes through to yeah. get here, uh, and, and I think it's important <clears throat> to get that story out. Um, so you're you're at the 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 house in mexico what happens next um so that i remember they gave us a meal and they told us that we're not going to have a meal for a while so to eat a lot and they they gave us this really spicy soup and uh my sister couldn't eat it because it was too spicy so for some reason i thought that it was smart to pour an entire bottle of salt on her soup and it would make it less spicy i don't remember why i did this but i got in trouble with the person for that because then that soup went went you know went in the trash um but they uh i remember they got us on a truck uh so this is maybe the third the last vehicle that we got on um and they drove us the entire day um and we got stopped by the cops three times but each time they would just bribe the cops like you know here goes let us go and they were like okay they're good go go and it worked all three times but sometimes you don't get so lucky sometimes the cop cannot be bribed and at that point you get caught and then you get sent back home and you gotta start all over again um so they drove us for maybe a day or so if i can remember right to the next checkpoint um and this is where it gets a little hazy because they woke me up around three four in the morning and they were they told us they woke me up personally and I was waking my sister up and my little cousin. I was like, hey, let's go. And they were like, no, it's just you. And I was like, no, they have to come with me. I'm taking care of them. And then they pulled me away from my sister. And I was like, no, stop. And then they were like, look, if they come with you, they might die. And then at that point, I was like, I, I had to make a decision. You know, do I fight it and I stay with them <clears throat> or do I leave on my own? So I told my sister, she was half asleep. She probably doesn't remember. And I was like, take care of Melvin. And I went with the Coyote, and I got split from my sister. And I didn't see her for the next seven months, probably. And um, that I know, my sister was taken through the border on a car. Uh, she hasn't told me a lot of details about after that. Um, but the officer stopped them. Uh, the U.S. officer stopped them. And he went straight to my little cousin. And he was like, where are you going? He was like, I'm coming to the U.S. to see my mom. And at that point, he gave it away. Um, so they were captured by uh, the immigration authorities in the U.S. Uh, I believe it was in Texas. I can't really remember. Um, and that was, I didn't know any of this. So on my side, they made us walk a few nights. Um, and I was with all a group of adults. <clears throat> and they kept telling us, you know, if you get sick or something happens to you, we will have to leave you behind. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening to part one of our journey with Fabricio. I do apologize for the poor audio quality. The room that we had our interview in was not really designed for auto record audio recording, but I hope it wasn't really that distracting to you. Uh, be sure to describe on your favorite platform in order to be the first to know when parts two and three of Fabricio's journey become available. Thanks again for listening. I'll see you next time.